And they're going to refrain from intermarrying with idolaters, which is an issue that they always had. This, in fact, is what I will call real revival. It is a renewal that not only touched the common man, it is a renewal that touched the national leaders. See, when God sends revival, you've got to understand that everyone can feel the impact of God's intervention. You've got to understand that when true revival hits a nation, just like the Great Awakening, we had the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and we had the Azusa Street Revival in the 1900s, you can look back over history. And you can find that whenever God gave a genuine, powerful revival, that it shook not just a church, not just a county, but it shook the nation. Come on, somebody. And I'm telling you that when genuine revival hits, literally it will hit the president and it will hit the slave. It will hit the president, it will hit the common man. From whatever the rank in our worldly status is, whatever the highest is and whatever the lowest Every one of them is going to feel the intervention of God when this thing called revival begins to happen. Now all of us would appreciate such a move of God today. What caused this great recognition of God in this temple? What is it that brought such a great true experience in Nehemiah 10? Well, you have to go back in Nehemiah chapter 9 before you can understand that what happens in chapter 9 is the reason. For what happened in chapter 10. And so today we're going to go back to chapter 9. And I'm going to show you verse by verse analysis. And we are going to focus on the word assembled. On fasting. On separated. On the word stood. On the word confessed. On the word read. And on the word worshipped. And I've got a lot of things to cover. So I better get right to it. But these are the seven keys of revival then. It is the seven keys of revival now. Are you ready? Let's go to verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Now I want you just, we're going to just leave it up there and we are going to break down scriptures. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were what? The first thing that we see they were is they were assembled. Before anything positive and good could happen, The people had to get together. They had to assemble. Now I know in the day and hour that we live in, we have not put enough emphasis, especially in the days of COVID, something we never thought would hit us like it did, but it has. And we have had to put an emphasis on the fact of the assembly. And wanting to try whatever we can to get people to come together because there's something Special that happens when God's people assemble together. Now I've heard some good sermons and I've heard some good singing. And I've watched it on YouTube and I've watched it on Facebook and on every other site, even on other church sites. And and I've watched them and I got a little excited and thought, man, that's pretty good stuff right there. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing like when God's people get together in one place and in one accord and God shows up and shows out. Nothing like it. It is one of those times that we're telling people, you just had to be there to understand really what God did. So keeping the people apart would never produce unity. Keeping the people separated, keeping the people quarantined away from everybody would never bring a genuine unity or a revival. And so Nehemiah knew that the place to start 
was a called meeting. When he calls the people together, he does not give them a pat on the back, pat on the head kind of sermon. When he finally gets the people together, he says the subject of the day that we're going to deal with is sin. Now, I was reading my Bible just the other day and on the day of Pentecost. I read it. It said they came together in one place. Now, I know there's times that we have church events and more small group basis, and those things are great. They're wonderful to connect people together in groups, and I love those. There's a place for those type segregated activities. But I've got to tell somebody today that there is nothing more important than when the church comes together as a body. When we have all ages. That's why we have a family Sunday. Because sometimes I do like hearing babies scream. It lets me know there's still life in my church. When people say, well, the church is dying, everybody's dying. Well, I just heard a baby squawk back there and, and it lets me know the church is not dead. The church still has a future. The church still has hope. And so that's why I like it when we see little kids and they grab a microphone and they start singing and, and having a time on stage and they help participate. Because what I see is I like it when the body comes together. And it's not how old you are or how young you are. It is simply a group of people that come together of all different agencies in the church and all different ages in the church. And we just get here and we've all got one thing on our mind and that is lifting up the name of Jesus Christ Almighty. That is what happens when God's people get together and assemble. Watch this. So we have this Pentecostal gathering. I love it. Most always the message will transcend what we call age barriers and specialized group. It is God that is wanting to speak to His people. And He wants to speak to all of His people. He proved that in Acts chapter 2, when He said, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to pour out My Spirit on all flesh. I'm going to pour it out on your sons. I'm going to pour... Oh, somebody better help me preach today. I'm going to pour it out on your daughters. I'm going to pour it out on the leaders. I'm going to pour it on the maid servants and the men servants, the slaves. But in that last day, when everybody decides sides to finally come together and get together and quit all the bickering and quit all the division and they just come to worship me in one place assembled together revival is about to happen there is a reason that Satan has taken us and he has tried his best to seclude us he has tried to separate us in the age that we live in, we are seeing this more than we've ever seen before. And there are those that during this season, they have fallen away from the faith. They, can I say, can, can I be modern with y'all? They have fallen away from the Facebook. What does that even mean? What I'm saying is there are people... They say, well, I'm going to quarantine, I'm going to stay home, whatever. That's your call. I'm not going to make that decision for you. You do what you and Jesus have, have going. You got your own thing going. That's between you and Him. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You better stay connected. Even if you stay connected through Facebook, then you need to be committed to Facebook. Are you still with me, Johnny? Am I doing good? I, I couldn't let you pat me on the back. Listen to me. What I'm saying is if you're going to be secluded, and if you're going to be segregated, 
then so be it. And if you feel you've got to protect yourself that way, then protect yourself that way. But by gosh, be up at 10.50 on Sunday morning, put it on your TV, put it on your iPad, but worship together with God's children. Don't fall away. Because it is so important that we worship right here, right now, whether it's in this building or whether it's on Facebook, it just feels good to be assembled together. Oh, that was a side rabbit trail and it took about three minutes of my sermon time. It happens to preachers. So in Acts chapter 2, 1, they are all in one geographical location in one accord. Do you know, I'm going to go further for us that are here today, it is possible to be in one geographical location in one building, one church house, and be thousands of miles apart. There's a lot of churches that will meet today They'll come out of tradition to their church. They'll sit on their designated seat that their great-grandpa bought. They will go through the motions. They will have church. But they are so divided. They've got all against their brother. They've got all against their sister. You can gather together in one location, in one place. But just because you assemble doesn't mean that God's going to show up. Because if there's division, if there's strife among the body of believers that are assembling, there's a problem with that. See, God doesn't just want us to assemble. God wants us to assemble and really get together. God wants this body to be in unity. That is when he shows up, folks. So Satan literally trembles when a unified body of believers get together. All right? Because as we talked about last Sunday, but when the church, but the church prayed, when Satan knows that when a unified body of believers get together, they can literally pray down revival. The assembly may not be a big deal to us, but it is a huge deal to the devil. Because he knows that any time he remembers Acts chapter 2 very well. Do you know why he remembers it? Because he was there. He showed up that day. He wanted to see if what Jesus said was really going to happen. If what Peter had said was really going to happen. If what Joel said was really going to happen. And on the day of Pentecost, he figured out that when 120 believers come together in perfect unity, revival is about to break out. The Holy Ghost is about to... The sin. I gotta quit. So it is said that 71% um, of, of, of the geese they, they fly. Have you ever watched? Have you ever watched a geese fly on their migrations? And they fly in this this famous V shape. And what that V shape does, that V shape formation creates a swath of air that gives each goose a successful lift to where they can make it. It gets us to the place that we understand that we can accomplish more together than we can separately. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. We cannot afford to forget the importance of that because when we come together, what we are doing in our singing, in our playing, in our talking to one another, what we are doing is like the geese. We are giving a swath of air to our brother. We are lifting somebody else up. That is why assembly is so important. Point number two. They were assembled with what? With Are y'all ready for this? Now I had a guy that told me just last week when I was preaching on But the Church Prayed and he said to me if you'd have just added in the hard part fasting. Well brother I'm going to do it today for you. Fasting 
is not a popular word, but it has always been accompanied with great revival. I'm trying to answer the question today, what causes revival? And I'm trying to show you. Because fasting indicates sacrifice. We've all had to do it, right? Haven't we all had to sacrifice something? You know what I'm saying. I mean, we had to sacrifice stuff during this global pandemic. We've had to make sacrifices, right? So we understand what it means to make sacrifices. My mama used to go without so I could wear Tommy Hilfiger pants. Now, if if some of y'all know what Tommy Hilfiger are, yeah, you're telling your age. It's still around, but not like it used to be. We've all had the sacrifice. I saw my mama do it for me many a times. Sent me to my daddy had died, alcoholic died, cirrhosis of a liver. I watched her many times. She sent me to a Christian school, paid that bill every single month just so I could be in a Christian education away from godless schools. I watched her every month sacrifice. We know what some of you parents, you sacrifice for your kids too. Some of you would rather have a date night tonight. But my Lord, somebody's got to pack the lunchbox for school tomorrow. Sacrifice. So we all know what sacrifice is all about. But see, there's something about fasting that is more than sacrifice. Because it is intentional, planned sacrifice. It is signing up for Wednesday of this week. Saying, Wednesday, I ain't eating anything until God moves. Now, I don't mind sacrifice, but it's hard when you intentionally put the planned sacrifice on yourself. But that's what fasting is. And it suggests that someone is more concerned about revival than he is with his own well-being. He is more concerned about spiritual food than he is about physical food. He is more concerned about coming to church and the dove, the Holy Spirit, just hovering over us and us feeling it so strong than he is eating that Big Mac. Come on, somebody. If there's anything y'all people love, you love eating, don't you? I can see it right now in your eyes. Some of you are hungry. My stomach's growling away right now. My wife's got some great food at home. Good for y'all. I might cut a couple minutes short. They're more concerned about revival than they are their own personal wealth. He denies himself physically for the sake of the church spiritually. The man or woman that fasts. I was reading of an overseer in Alabama. He was telling his story the other day. And he talked about how in Alabama he was the, the state overseer. And how did he declared a spiritual emphasis month. And in that month he told his congregation. He requested that the people of the church of God fast their noon meal. Just noon, on, a, on, on one particular Sunday, it would be like on September the 12th, I'm going to ask everybody just to miss lunch, don't eat till tonight for supper time. It was simply one meal that he asked them to miss, all the congregations. On the previous Sunday, all the congregations were to pray for revival. So he was doing prayer and fasting. And he told them, in your service, I want you to take just 15 minutes. I want you to pray from 11.15 to 11.30. He said literally thousands of people all across the state of Alabama in the church of God were praying and fasting at those suggested times. He said it absolutely worked. It shook their denomination, turned it upside down. He said there were more people saved that month in church of God congregations in Alabama than there had ever been in any single month before. They broke their average over 5 
500 new people became church members all because of a result of prayer and fasting. Now I want you to grab the power of this. If that can happen because people in unity prayed for 15 minutes and they fasted not one day, they fasted one meal. I mean, if that could happen, what in the world would happen if the church would really have one full service dedicated to prayer? What would happen if we would take one whole day and dedicate it to fasting? What in the world could God do? The results would be astonishing. I did that North Lake and I did that Nuri. Every time I did it, we saw results. Are you willing to sacrifice to have a real move of God? Hurry up. No, let's go to, let's go on. They put sackcloth ashes on their head. Go to the next verse, verse 2. All right. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. I want to stop on the word separated. There is no way the people in Nehemiah's day can have this great revival just being part of the crowd. They separated themselves from all the strangers to attend to the work of the Lord. To go work in the house of the Lord. These scriptures do not suggest to us that we are to withdraw from society. Because we live in a real world with real sinners. A matter of fact, our job, I'm going to say it again. Our job is to lead them to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees and the church folks got mad. Not because Jesus secluded from sinners altogether. The Bible said that he even went to their houses. And he sat down and he had a meal with them. And they said who does this man think he is? He's of Beelzebub. He's of the devil. Because he sits down and he eats with sinners. So when you're reaching somebody. Of course it involves spending time with them. However. There is a time when sincere Christians must pull themselves away from the crowd. There is a time we can never, we can never become part of them in order to win them. This isn't popular preaching. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. It's an old verse that said this. He said, come out from among them, says the Lord, and be ye a separate people. See, the, the Lord strongly forbids to us Christians that we are to align ourselves with carnality or carnal goals or with worldly desires. No sinner will be challenged to change his or her ways by a Christian who fails to separate themselves from evil. We have got to be different than the world. If there is no separation, then there is going to be no revival. I'm going to say it again. If we do not learn to separate from sin, there will be no revival in the church. A pastor cannot get up and align himself with transgenders in order to get transgenders to his church. My God, he's preaching now. We can preach about it. We can call it what it is. It is sin. We can love people and say, even though you've chosen to live this lifestyle, we're going to love you, but we are going to hate your sin because it is despicable in the eyes of God. We can win a gay to Jesus Christ, but we cannot say we've got a gay connect group in our church, so come on down. My God, help this preacher. Pre Listen to me. I want to tell you this. I have heard pastors say, and this is a fact, I know. I have heard them say, we went down to the bar, and our group, they play music down there at the bar, and they drink beer. 
with all the sinners hollering and screaming drunk around them. And then they come back to church on Sunday morning to lead us in how great is our God. Let me tell you something. There is no wonder that the church is not having revival. There is no wonder that the shekinah of glory is not seen and that the cloud of the Lord and the smoke of the Lord isn't filling the temple. When we are not willing to separate ourselves, we will not have revival. If we've ever needed a church that's separated, it is right now. I mean, my gosh, the way politics are today and the things that this world's standing for, we better be the church. Come on now, somebody. So we cannot, we cannot live like the world and live in the presence of Jesus. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Oh, my God, have mercy. I said we cannot live like the world and live in His presence. It does not work. There has to be a separation. Let's go. And they stood. I just want to stop it right here. They stood. The people in Nehemiah's day, they stood as one people. They recognized God's Word. They hold it with such respect for it that they could not be seated while it was read. When the Word is read, they stand. Are y'all ready for this? Woo. That's why oftentimes when I read scripture, and I know I can't do it today because y'all be standing the whole service, all right? But that's why oftentimes if I read at the beginning, sometimes I say, can we stand for the reading of the word? It's because of this in Nehemiah 9 too. Out of reverence and respect, they stood for the word. In fact, they stood for a fourth of the daylight. Now what that is in the Hebrew is the equivalent of about three hours. What would y'all do today if I preached for three hours? There's some of y'all, I know it, you know it, let's not lie, we're in God's presence. There's some of you, one by one, you'd start looking around, you'd sneak out, alright? Be calling, you're talking about what happened, you're talking about her stomach was feeling a little bad. Yeah, she was hungry, that's what that means. I mean, who wants to sit here for three hours, right? These people heard the word of God read and they stood up and stood there. One group of people like a mighty arm just stood there while a man stood up. Not a charismatic speaker. Not jumping around, sweating and acting foolish like I am today. He just simply said, thus saith the Lord. And they're standing. I need somebody to understand something today. Most of us would tire out, of course, after standing that our body simply could not take it. Of course, there is no New Testament admonition or commandment that says you've got to do it a certain amount of hours. That's not a command of God. The, men, the people of God were just so hungry for revival that they were willing to stand for three hours. The point is that if we're going to have revival, we must be willing to go beyond the norm, the added sacrifices standing in recognition of God and Nehemiah just simply reading the law of God shows respect, humility unless we are willing to humbly experience this God says if we don't humble ourselves and pray, if we do not go beyond the norm and do a little more if a man says go one mile go with him twain and God says it's going that extra mile that extra step until we're willing to do that, we fail to experience this great revival. When God gets our attention to the point that we stand in awe, that we forget everything and everybody else, 
We humbly seek His face. Revival will come. I want to reiterate this. When we forget everything else, when we forget about what we've got to eat today, when we forget about what we're going to be doing this afternoon, and we get into a mind frame that says, God, all I want is Your presence. It is one of those services where it comes down and you just lay on the altar and say, God, I don't want to leave this place. Folks, I want a revival. I want a move of God where I end up on my face. I want a revival, a move of God to where I'm on my face in His presence. And I feel like I'm unworthy to be here. And all of my sins are being revealed. All of the things in my heart that have grown callous are being softened by the power of God. I need an Isaiah chapter 6 where I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple and there's smoke everywhere and there's beings running around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah Isaiah's on the altar saying, oh my God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't even deserve to be here. And then one of the beasts fly over there with the tons of the altar and a coal, touches his lips and says, in my presence, you can be made clean. See, there's a reason that I need God to show up. Because I need to be clean. There's a reason that I need His presence to get heavy on me. Because I want everything that I do that's wrong, I want it to be revealed to me. Everything I've said that is wrong, I want it to be revealed to me. The person that I have become that God's saying, I want you to change who you are. I need it to be revealed to me. And only the Spirit can do that. Alright, hurry pastor, I am. Next, they confessed. Alright, they confessed. This may not be a shouting point, but after you do it, you can and you will shout, all right? You can live in victory, hallelujah, when you learn how to confess. The absence of confession. They, they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. Watch this. The absence of confession will result in the absence of revival. Honest confession Always, always, always leads to genuine revival. So not only do the people stand for three hours, but they confess their sins for another three hours. Folks, this is powerful. I mean, do y'all see what it costs to have revival? It's more than just, all right, let's pray tonight and ask God to show up in the service tomorrow. I mean, this, if we are going to have a life-altering, heart-changing, where this church was known as Gap Hill Church before, all of a sudden it's like it's new and it's different. Because this, that's the kind of revival I'm talking about. I'm talking about a change. I'm talking about a change in the atmosphere. For six hours, this is what they did. Furthermore, the matter of confession was not taken lightly. Not a now, Lord, lay me down to sleep for three hours. They did this. Revival does not come by faith alone. There must be confession of sin. There must be confession of jealousy, hate, ill will, doubt, cheating, lying, bad attitudes, bad habits, any and all sin, name it, whatever it is, it cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. We've got to confess it. Perhaps this is why the church of today, we're not experiencing a perennial 
revival. That perennial meaning an annual thing, a lasting, a continued recurring wave of glory is what a perennial move of God is. It is where every time that we gather in the church, we feel the presence of God. It is not just we had a good service last week. It is every Sunday. It is getting better and better and better. God is showing up every... That's perennial. That's why when you get those perennial flowers that they just can't, you just can't seem to kill the things. That's the way God's wanting to happen in our churches. It's a revival that will come through and a fire that will burn. The firemen can't put it out. The devil's going to try to smolder it. There's others that will come and say, oh, that's not real. They'll try to put it out. But it's going to be such a wave of glory. It's going to be annual. It's going to be 365, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. A move of God that hovers in the building. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, God have mercy. Help Pastor Jimmy today, Jesus. So too often we think of confession only related to an unsaved person. But see, there's more to confession than that. God makes an emphasis on confession in this verse, and it is not to the sinner. It is actually to God's people. It is sometimes hard to do. As a matter of fact, sometimes we don't want to do it. But the results reveal to us that confession is worth it. I don't know about you folks, it works, and I want to do it. Right here today, I want to confess. May none of us be so self-righteous and so sanctified that we fail to confess our wrongdoings to God. David confessed all the time. When cries of confessions are made, the sounds of revival are near. When you start, oh my God, I thought, when you start seeing God's people on the altar and there's tears rolling down their face and there's God forgive me. God make me a better person. God change who I am. When you start hearing that kind of prayer and that kind of confession, when the cries of confession are near, I'm telling you the sounds of revival are closer than they they've ever been before. I'm telling you like David. He told them, he said when you hear the sound of God moving in the mulberry trees you know that I'm about to destroy your enemy. And I want to tell somebody today that God's saying to us when we begin to cry out for forgiveness and confession of our sins, we're going to hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it's going to blow right through this house and revival's going to happen again. Verse 3 Man, I'm glad I'm Feeling better from this COVID stuff. I feel like preaching now, I'm telling you. Good exercise. I got to quit. And they stood up in their place and read. They read from the book of the law. How long? Here we go. Let's go three more hours. Perhaps the word read does not carry a lot of evangelistic overtones. If I were to use that word, let's read the word. Nobody shouts, right? We don't think of reading and revival as being closely interchanged or connected. Reading implies this intellectual study while revival suggests to us that there's a heart change going on. But I want to show you that when you look closely at the Word of God, it reveals a close connection between reading the Word and a breakout of revival. Are you ready for it? Really quick. Josiah called for the book of the law and he read it. Revival it followed in Second Chronicles 34. Fire didn't fall. It didn't say they shouted. But you know what it does say? They repented. See, see, we've got it messed up. Because if revival lingers, it lingers only on a group of confessed, repentant Christians. Where sin is not allowed. Where sin, when every time it knocks on the door, we say no, that is revival. Watch this. 
Jesus started his earthly ministry by reading from Isaiah, Luke 4, 18. Because he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news, to heal the sick, to help the poor, etc., etc. You know what he said. His preaching ministry after reading that in the same chapter brought constant revival. A matter of fact, after reading that, he came to Legion and the devils came down and said, where would you have us go? And he said, get out of the man and it left. Peter's mother-in-law's got a fever and it's high and they think she's going to die. Jesus laid hands on her after reading from Isaiah in the scroll that God had anointed him to do this. And she was healed completely. The Bible went on to say many people. People were healed. Reading revival. Peter quoted Joel chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, 17 through 21, he said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams again. And revival fell. Reading revival. There are 3,000 people that are saved. There are 120 people that are baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. There are 3,000 water baptisms in one day. When God shows up, He can do things fast. I mean, if I'm scheduling a baptism and we got 3,000 people, I'm definitely going to split it up in between Sundays. Not when God gets in it. Philip's reading the scripture, sitting on a chariot. And as he's riding down, there's a eunuch. There's, or there's a eunuch, rather, sitting here reading the scriptures. Philip's preaching a revival off. And God puts him in a whirlwind, sits him beside the guy who says, Tell me what I'm reading. And guess what it led to? Reading revival. The man got saved, said, baptize me too. They'd be baptizing him in a mud hole. Come on, somebody. In Nehemiah's day, there's a reading of the law. It's not shouting material. It is turn or burn. It is confess your sins and repent. They repented. They started paying their tithes just like they said they would. We will not neglect the house of our God. They started doing it, reading the word with the intention of obeying the word and following what the word says. That's a lot. I could preach that, but I'm not. Leads to revival. All right, let's close. Verse 3, let's go. All right. Another fourth, they confessed. And what else did they do? They worshipped. Now we finally got to the shouting part. Woo! Look at all we had to do to get here. Now it's time to shout. They begin to worship the Lord. And they said, well, praise God while we're shouting a little bit. You know what? This feels so good. We're going to do this for three hours. (laughs) Come on, Sandra. Go to the piano, dear. I'm quitting. The people worshipped. In fact, the worship could not be stopped by Sanballat. Y'all remember him in the story, right? The worship could not be stopped by Tobiah who made a joke that if anything jumps on this wall, the wall is going to fall that y'all built. The leaders of the day would have liked to stop this great, great worship, but even the leaders of the day couldn't stop it. The devil himself could not stop it. You can't mess with people that get lost in worship. It lasted three hours, a fourth of the day. 
as they lose themselves in worship to the Lord, as they lose their self in this great power and this glory, they're not looking at their clock, right? They're getting lost in His presence. Somebody was messing with Joe Biden the other day, talking about at the Marines thing, he looked at his watch. I'm telling you something, when you're the president, you can't sneeze without getting in trouble. I'm just going to tell you, just watch every move you make. I mean, seriously, whether you like them, you don't like them. I was like, man, that's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Just people crazy. He said, look at this. Ah, he's just looking at the clock. Well, I want to tell you something. I pastor a church, and I've seen people look at their clock, clock my whole life. I've had people before do like this to me. My Lord, get over yourself. Go to camp meeting. It's like five hours a night. I got to quit. Oh, Jesus, help me. It's in that moment that you get in the presence of God. And and you don't look at your watch because you don't care. It's at that moment that you could literally take off your watch if you didn't want to get your calorie burned for the day from, from Apple. You could just take it off. You didn't care. You didn't care who was in the house. A matter of fact, I've been in the presence of God before, laid on an altar and got up from the altar and there was a a full church house and when I got up, there was only one or two. And mama waiting at the back for little Jimmy to get in the car. But when you get in the presence of God, after you've sacrificed all that we see they sacrificed, can't you understand why they want to stay in His presence? I mean, see, what I understand is today I'm about to leave this church. I'm not going to come back to this church to preach another sermon. I'll be back tomorrow and every day of the week except for Friday, hopefully. But guess what? I'm coming back Wednesday. i got to deal with the world. i got to get news notifications of all the bad things that are going on around us. So please excuse me. If I get in this church and if I feel something inside of me and I don't want to hush and I don't want to stop, what is happening is I feel something from God. His presence is around me and I don't want to lose that to go out there and face what I'm going to face. Churches need to worship spontaneously. We should not have to depend on a music leader pastor, worship pastor to lead us in the worship it shouldn't take a preacher kicking his foot high to get us to worship worship should come from our hearts our repentant hearts and it should completely overtake us it should overwhelm us churches that worship spontaneously draw their own people together and they also attract other people It is no half-hearted worship that brings the revival I'm talking about. It is intense, wholehearted involvement in corporate worship that causes revival. I had a guy's name was Jumpin' John, the evangelist. And old Jumpin' John, we used to start singing. Brian was singing a slow song earlier, right? It didn't matter for Jumpin' John. He'd shout the whole time. Whole service, that's what John did. Wouldn't bother him, but he just, just danced right there before the Lord in his pew. I was reading in my Bible, it said David danced before the Lord with all his might. He just stood there, he just stood at his pew, he just danced. By the time he got up to preach, sister, he was pouring sweat. His, tie, his shirt was drenched before he even started preaching. Dancing, 
before the Lord. I'm telling you, half-hearted worship doesn't get it done. It is wholehearted, intense involvement in corporate worship that is going to bring revival. There's a lot of things that have changed since Nehemiah's day, but the cause for revival is still the same. If Christians come together, unity fast, separate themselves to God, standing together, confess corporate sins, read God's word, and bow down before Him in worship, revival will come. God has no choice but to send revival to that kind of church. Watch this. We cram church into one hour, right? One hour and 15 minutes if it's really going good. I want you to, I'm going to leave you with this. In our text, they stood for three hours listening. Not to the preacher, listening to AKA the word which is called the Bible. Three hours. That scroll had to be a mile long. I mean, can you imagine having the job of the guy that's holding the scroll for the guy rolling the scroll? The whole time. For three hours. And then, after hearing the word for three hours, they fell on their face, they confessed, they began to worship God, they began to repent of sin, they did it for three more hours, they literally had a six hour service folks. It costs something to have not an artificial revival, not a superficial revival, but a heart changing revival. No special scene. Brandon Lake doesn't have to come to the church and grab a guitar and sing to us. We don't have to have a big guest speaker and a big name preacher to come in here. What we need is a group of people that will do what I said. That is exactly what causes and what brings revival to a church. Are you ready for revival? Let's stand. Pastor is closing. Jesus, I want to thank you today for your spoken word. I want to praise you today. Your people have come together. They have assembled themselves. That's the first step. We are here together in unity. We are here today for one purpose. And that is to worship you. Would you help us this week to be challenged to fast? Would you help us this week, even if it's one meal, without a sign-up sheet, without being prodded or pushed, would you just let every Christian here today say, you know what, I'm going to take a meal next week and I'm going to pray for our church, I'm going to fast. I'm going to sacrifice intentionally for revival because I want it that bad. Help us to stay separated. This world's got some alluring temptations. I'm asking you to keep us clean. God, I'm asking you to keep us from sin. I'm asking you to help us stand. Help us stand as one. No matter how long it takes. No matter how rough it gets. No matter how much darkness may seem to prevail. Let the church stand together in, in this unity that I'm preaching about. Let us confess. Not only today but this week. Let us confess who we really are. Not the person that other people see. But the person inside. We know who we are. We know where we have failed. We know where we have fallen short. Forgive us in Jesus name. Help us to open your book and read it aloud. Listen to the words of God as they come to life. And we can't get enough. And then the part that we love. Help us to just worship you. Help us to love on you. Help us to get lost in your presence. I'm asking you this week that somebody would get in their prayer closet. I'm asking you this week that somebody, even if they want to come to church and kneel at the altar, we're here all week. They can come to this church and they can pray at this altar. 
I'm asking you people as they're riding down the road, Father, and they begin to get in your presence, I'm asking you to, just to let them start worshiping you and praising you. And I'm asking you this week that as we do these things, that we feel a shekinah of glory that will hover over our houses, hover over our churches, hover over our vehicles, wherever we are. The glory cloud goes with us. I am asking you, Father, not for something fake, not for something worked up, not for something superficial, not for something just emotional. I am asking you to send a genuine, authentic revival to six miles South Carolina and to Gap Hill Church right now in the name of Jesus. Sing a little bit of that. Oh, I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me. Give God glory. Somebody praise Him. Oh, you're my victory. Yeah. Lord, you're my 